0: Uh, wonderful songs that were picked tonight, some of those about uh, God's forgiveness, and it's just like His great love. And I want to talk to you tonight about a, a common misconception as it relates to prayer, uh, as it relates to prayer. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John 9 with me. We'll, we'll look at a couple of verses tonight. Uh, I hope I get you thinking. I hope you put your thinking caps on. And uh, just like Chelsea shared tonight, um, the fact of the matter is, if you are saved, you have been justified. And uh, what a wonderful, powerful word, by the way, the word justified, justification, uh, the root word of it uh, means to be made right, to be made right. Romans 5 tells us, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, uh, you know, you need to get right with God. Uh, If you're saved, that's not the issue. For a lost person, they need to get right with God. If you're saved, guess what? Because of Christ, you are right with God. Now, there may be some things in your life you might need to repent of, or, uh, you know, you've maybe uh, drifted, or, uh, you know, a lot of things we might call it, but uh, one thing you can't call it is, I'm not right with God. And uh, that's an old-timey preacher uh, lingo, but, uh, but theologically, it's wrong. And um, so I want to address a, address a misconception as that relates to prayer tonight. And here's a verse that is often quoted, John 9, look at verse number 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And uh, this was as a result of a conversation about who is Jesus. And as long as we have a word of prayer, we'll uh, dive into this a little bit. Father, we do thank you for our time together this evening. I pray that you would help us in this Bible study to, uh, to have greater confidence and boldness to come into, to enter your throne room and bring our needs and bring our petitions before you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd remove obstacles and hurdles uh, that we have set up in our own mind, our own even false theology that has kept us from coming to you, and we pray that you'd be glorified tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, I've heard it several times, and maybe you've heard it, I don't know, but I've heard it several times about how, how, uh, uh, first and foremost, how a lost person can't pray until they get saved. Uh, that's the first thing that I've heard often, that, uh, that the first prayer that God hears from a person is the prayer of salvation. And uh, to which I often reply, well, what about Cornelius? Right? And uh, Cornelius was a very religious man, though lost, and God told him, I've heard your prayers. Go and search out Peter, and he's going to tell you what you need to do. And uh, he eventually gets saved. But God very specifically said, I've heard your prayers. Okay. And there have been people throughout Scripture that, that, that prayed, lost people, Gentiles that prayed, and so, uh, so they quote something like this, and I remember I was getting into discussion with a guy, and I was, I was trying not to be sarcastic about it, but I asked him, uh, you know, as he quoted this verse, and I, I, said, uh, I said, now which apostle said that? The Bible tells us that uh, the foundation of the church is laid upon, uh, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself, himself, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. All scripture, uh, that, that uh, especially that is going to be doctrinal in nature, is going to come from one of the three categories. Apostles, prophets, Jesus. Now, I'm going to say this. Everything that the Bible says is accurate, accurately recorded, but not everything the Bible says is correct. I'll we'll let that kind of sit there for a second. Okay? You know the Bible records lies? Is the lie correct? No, a lie is a lie. But it's an accurate recording of that person's lie. All right? For example, uh, 1 Samuel ends with uh, King Saul killing himself. 2 Samuel starts with a guy taking credit for killing Saul. Which one's correct? You see? Or is it a contradiction? It is correct that a man said this statement that we just read, but let's go back a little bit and ask ourselves, who is this man that made this statement? Was it Paul? Was it Peter? Was it Jesus himself? Since we're in the Gospels, maybe it was Jesus. So let's back up. Um, Boy, how far back do I need to go for this miracle? Yeah. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but in uh, in verse number one, Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? By the way, that's the initial assumption. By the way, being born blind for your own sin? Born blind for your own sin? How, how much sin do you think he commit, would commit in the womb? <laughs> um, and so Jesus said, answered, neither... Hath this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest to him. Wonderful verse, by the way, and I want to caution you, don't make the leap to Calvinism based on this verse. But God will do His will. God wants to do His will. God wants to be glorified in everything. All right? And, uh, and so, it is, a, it is a powerful truth, you know, when you say, well, why did I get cancer? Why did my loved one die? Why did... Uh, Uh, you know, uh, recently uh, a couple in the church had a miscarriage. Why? You know, we like to ask a lot of these questions. Sometimes we won't know the answer, but we do know this, that everything God does, he wants to be glorified in and through. And so he says this, that, that, that God's works will be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh and no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind with clay and said unto him, Wash in the pool of uh, uh, Siloam, uh, which is interpretation, sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. So what ended up happening was it created this big scene. They all knew he had been blind from his birth. And to uh, create this big scene, they began an inquisition. And they go to his parents and, you know, what happened here? Was he born blind? You know, and, and they said, you know, he's of age. Go ask him. So the Pharisees come to him and, and uh, let's pick up in verse uh, 24. Then again, called they the man uh, that was blind and say unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner, referring to the blind man, who's now healed. And he answered and said, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, let me back up. Speaking of Christ, let me let me go back further. Um, uh, verse twenty-two, and the words uh, spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, speaking of Jesus, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, uh, he is of age; ask him. Then they called the man that was blind and said to him, "Give God the praise, for we know that this man's a sinner." In other words, don't give this man Jesus the praise; give God the praise, and uh, you know if it was, you know God's the one that healed him. And he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. So he's kind of laying out what he knows, right? Uh, I don't know who Jesus is, but I know I was blind and now I see. I I can't argue this. Verse 26. Then said they to him again, What did did he to thee? and uh, How opened he thine eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Get this now, we also be his disciples? So now he's gone from saying, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I know he healed me. And then he says, "Are you gonna?" he's now committing himself, are you also going to be his disciple? In other words, you know, I think I want to follow this guy. That's really what a disciple is, a follower, a teacher, a, or I'm sorry, a student, a learner of somebody else. And he says, "Will he also be his disciples?" Then they reviled him. They 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 chewed him out, if you would, and said, "Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples." They they love doing that, right? They want to play the trump card. You know, well, oh yeah, well, our disciple. You know, uh, remember uh, another time Jesus was having an encounter with them, and he called the father God the Father, and he said, "Our father is uh, Abraham. He's our father." And he says, "Before Abraham was, I am." You see, they love to try, to try to say we're special because of Abraham. We're special because of Moses. We're special because they love to point to the lineage. It's interesting, uh, you know, um, in the, the, uh, the pastoral epistles, it says avoid those endless genealogies. The Jews loved the endless genealogies. They loved going through the, the family history. And we even see it a lot, you know, uh, the son of David, you know, even, even um, uh Paul was talking about his status being of the, uh, of, um, uh, what was he, the tribe of Benjamin and, uh, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he would talk about all these credentials, so to speak. They love to, to point to those things. So they reviled and were Moses' disciples. Verse 29. We know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow we know not from whence he is. And the man answered and said unto them, Wherein uh, is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is? And ye, uh, yet he hath opened mine eyes. He says, you guys don't know where he's from, but he opened my eyes. Then he says this statement. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will him, he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man open eyes of one that is born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. The answer is said unto him, thou wast altogether born in sins. And thou dost, uh, dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. See, the Pharisees, uh, they didn't know what else to say, so they say, you're just a sinner, and you're trying to teach us. We're Pharisees, we're not sinners. <laughs> you see? And they cast him out. So let's step back. Here's a man. This is very new, trying to figure this out. Is this from God? Is this from man? And, and, uh, and he played into a common teaching, a common uh, conception that the, that the Pharisees had. They had even alluded to it, this man obviously was a sinner, so how could this be from God? Just give glory to God. Don't give credit to Jesus. Give glory to God uh, for you being healed. And, uh, and he's kind of, well, I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know if he's from God. And, 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 and he, must, he must be of God because we know God doesn't hear sinners. See, this is the thinking, the thought process that they were going through. So I want to say this. A guy that was still unsettled on who Jesus was, we should not get doctrine from. Does that make sense? It's true he said this, but is this a true statement? Maybe I can say it another way. Can we find this in a doctrinal passage? You know, a passage that is teaching us what to believe or how to behave or or some of those passages rather than a historical passage of Jesus came across this man, this man was healed, and, uh, and here's the encounter. You see the difference? And so... Uh, so, I want to kind of unpack a couple of things, some common misconceptions about prayer first of all, that uh, that God doesn't hear a lost person and, um, and I don't think you can really back that in the Bible, as I mentioned earlier, Cornelius, um, others uh, you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, 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 gave prayers to God and um, and uh, you know, what's interesting is remember when Jesus was all was upset because they were uh, 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 the money changers, and he drove them out, and uh, he quoted Isaiah. He said, my house shall be what? My house shall be called house of prayer, But you made it into a den of thieves. He was quoting Isaiah, and what Isaiah actually said, the full statement was, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. God wanted all nations to pray in his house. Interesting. And uh, so, so obviously God wanted people to come to him. God wanted people to bring their petitions. God God wanted this. And so, I want to start off with there, because that's kind of the easiest one. Does God hear a lost person? Yes or no? I believe he does. Now, I will say this. I don't think he's obligated to a lost person like he is his own children. There's another misconception out there. Well, we're all God's children. Well, then why would Jesus say to those Pharisees, You're of your father the devil, and lust of your father you will do. And, you know, the Bible gives this concept of adoption. We're brought in by adoption. You see, we, we, we've been born into sin. We've been born from the fallen Adamic bloodline, and God had to redeem us unto himself, being brought back again. And, uh, and so, so the second issue that is very popular teaching out there is this, that if we have unconfessed sin, God will not hear our prayer. If we have unconfessed sin in our life, God will not hear our prayers. And so what we, end up, what we tend to do is we start to have this, we, we, we put together this habit, and I believe it's because of the very heavy Catholic influence, uh, but this habit of, I can't really come before God, I can't bring my petition until my heart is thoroughly right with Him. Otherwise, He's not going to hear me, He's going to turn His face away from me. By the way, you know what's interesting? In Jesus' model prayer... Does confession of sin come before or after petitions? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, earth is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Petition. Forgive us our debts. Confession. Comes after, right? Um, even in the in the model of the Old Testament temple, uh, uh, the, the symbolism of the temple is, is pretty awesome, but... But there's a place where you're, you're, you're bringing your needs, and it comes actually before the place of washing. And, uh, and, and, and uh, what I'm saying is this, that, um, well, here's the proof text. Let's go ahead and go there. Psalm 66. Turn to Psalm 66. And by the way, feel free to, to, to ask questions as we kind of go through this. If uh, maybe I, I, I misspoke or said something you don't understand. Psalm 66, and uh, verse number 18. Psalm 66, verse number 18, says this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So say, see, if you've got sin in your life that, that has not been dealt with, if you've got sin, uh, then God is not going to hear your prayers. By the way, David, we believe, is the one who wrote Psalm 66. And David had some pretty, uh, pretty uh, egregious sins, would you say? And the next verse after that says, But verily God hath heard me. We, we tend to miss that part. And uh, it's, uh, if you notice, verse 18 ends with a, with a colon, which means the sentence isn't over. But, God verily, uh, 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 but verily God hath heard me, he hath attended to the voice of my prayers, blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Now, do any of us deserve God's ear? In our flesh, no, right? And, uh, and it is truly his mercy. That he doesn't turn his ear from us and and, uh, and so if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so, so some people have said, well, it's not that if I have sin in my life, but rather if I'm, if I'm regarding it. I have sins that I'm just holding on to and I'm not dealing with. And they try to kind of unpack it that way. And so, uh, so I'd like to define some terms here. And I'd like to use the Bible to define the Bible. Is that all right tonight? I'm not going to return there. Uh, um, uh, you're probably familiar with it. Isaiah 56, verse number 3. The Bible tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to, our, to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, that would be Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. The iniquity I, be, iniquity, I believe, is a very specific sin. It's the sin of going your way. The sin of doing it your way. Right? Uh, there, there are passages in the Psalms where sin and iniquity show up in the same verse. Uh, and and uh, you know, it's, Iniquity isn't just sin. It's a very specific sin. It's a sin of doing it my way. You guys remember when Jesus said uh, that, uh, that in the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and thy name to many wonderful works. And I will say to them, depart from ye that worketh iniquity. I never knew you. Is it good to do things in Jesus' name? Yes or no? Absolutely. Is it good to, to do ministry and the things that they were describing? Absolutely. But it is not good to do it your way, in your strength. The issue was they did it their way, uh, as Jesus was addressing it. By the way, uh, just kind of chew on that definition for a little while. It opens up so many passages. uh, When you start to see, wow, iniquity is a very specific sin, of doing it my way, rather than God's way. You see, it's not just rebellion. It's not just sin, but it's a very specific sin. Of, of, of refusing God's way and doing it your own way. So now let's take that definition and think about that. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I can just reword that, the hear me is the implication that we're talking about prayer, right? In fact, in verse number 19, but verily God hath heard me, and he had attended his voice unto my prayer. So what's implied there is if I regard iniquity in my heart while prayer is being made, God doesn't hear the prayer. Let's plug in that definition. If my prayer is a prayer of iniquity, God will not hear me. All right, let me give you a just, probably not the best illustration, but it's a great, uh, uh, obvious prayer of iniquity, okay? Nothing in my heart, by the way, believes what I'm about to publicly pray before you all. Prayer of iniquity. Lord, I know your Bible teaches that divorce is a sin and that I should not divorce my wife. But God, I just can't stand her anymore. So would you please kill my wife? Would that be a prayer of iniquity? How many of you are glad God would not hear that prayer? Right. By the way, the word here there, it's the Hebrew word Shema. Anybody know what Shema is? The Shema. The verse that every Jewish child, probably the first one they would memorize. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and, all thy soul and, and so forth, the word here there is the word Shema, and they actually call the whole sentence the Shema uh, here, the word, it, it carries the idea to hear to intelligently and to act upon Okay, you ever tell your children, did you hear me? now, they, aud- they heard audible noise that came out of your mouth, but what are you really asking? did you understand? are you going to do what I asked you to do? So, so, over and over again in the Bible, God tells us, He that has ear to hear, let him hear. All right, Lord, we heard. But did you do anything with it? Have you really heard until you, you see? So, so, the idea is this that if I have iniquity in my heart, God is not obligated to shema, to, to intelligently listen, to act on it. Because, I mean, all throughout Scripture, we have these promises call him to me, and I'll answer thee, and show thee great mighty things thou knowest not. He wants to hear and act. But when there's iniquity in the prayer, he says, "I don't hear that." See, it's not your sinful condition; it's the sinful prayer. Are we okay so far? I'll give you a New Testament parallel passage. You say, "Preacher, I just need more than this one verse." I'm so glad you asked. Turn over to James chapter four. We use our Bibles a little bit tonight. James chapter four. And uh, just to kind of give the idea, let's start at the beginning of the chapter, James chapter four. It says, "From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that you war in your members? Ye lust. The word lust means I've got a strong desire for. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have, ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, and ye have not because ye ask not." So there, there God is saying there's a disconnect here. You don't, you don't, you have not because you ask not. But then, then the response would be, well, I have asked God. You ask and receive not. There's gonna be a reason why you did not receive what you've asked for. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust, your own desires. Would that not be a prayer of iniquity? God, I just, would you just give me a million dollars? I just, I need a million, think of what I could do for you, Lord, if you just gave me a million dollars. And he says, it would ruin you. You can't handle the million dollars. Quit praying these prayers of iniquity and start trusting me. He's saying you are going to consume it upon your own lust. That's a prayer of iniquity, right? It's rooted in lust. It's rooted in my, my desires, not, not God's desires. Does that make sense? And so this is the kind of prayer that I'm glad God doesn't hear me. I have another verse jotted down, but I don't remember what it is. Let me look at it real quick or why I have it. Okay, I'll come to that. Okay. so, so, as we talk about this, so another verse that people like to bring up with the same kind of a concept is Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. I'm just going to go ahead and read it for the sake of time. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is he heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins has hid his face from you that he will not hear you. All right? Now, before we get into it, how many of you understand context is important? All right? Isaiah 59 is a wonderful messianic prophecy, and, and uh, it's specifically written to Israel. And uh, notice some of the things it says. God, uh, he says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, that he, that, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, prior to that, he says, God can save, but your iniquities are keeping him from doing it. Now, Now, wait a minute. If I'm saved, and here's another problem, we try to put our concept of salvation into the Old Testament, but if I'm saved, how can he not save me? If I am saved. God had extended a hand to Israel to redeem them, to save them, and there was a multiple facets to the salvation of Israel. One of the facets is a political salvation. Remember when they came, they thought he was going to free them from the Roman occupation. Why? Because he promised... He promised a kingdom, right? Remember we talked about that a little bit? He promised a kingdom. And God is still, by the way, going to bring about his kingdom. Amen? And so there's an element of the national salvation. There's the element of the spiritual salvation. But we look at these. But if you continue in Isaiah 59, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it really requires the whole chapter. He lays out all this thing about how their judgment is wrong, uh, how they've gone away backwards, that there's no justice Truth is cast out in the street. He goes through all this stuff. And then he says this, Therefore, I will send a Redeemer to Zion. God is showing them their sinful state that he had extended to them. He had chosen them as a people, and he wanted to be their God, and he wanted to bless them. But they kept turning away, and their sins and their iniquities caused God to turn their face from them. So because of that, God said, I will send a Redeemer, capital R, in Isaiah 59, and we know who that is, right? Jesus Christ himself. Okay, So, make no mistake about it, that passage is about Israel, and about their need for a redeemer. We could, if we wanted to apply it to us, here's how we must apply it. We are wrong before God, we are not right before God, in our sinful condition. Therefore, that redeemer that has been sent, we must put faith in, if Uh, if we are going to have that right standing with God. But the sin issue must be dealt with. And so as the word we talked about a little bit earlier, justified. Justification must take place to have that position with God, to be made right with Him. That's what that chapter is about. Wonderful chapter, by the way, uh, and and worthy of study. But really, it's about backslidden Israel and their need for a Redeemer. And so when we consider unconfessed sins... now, Now, what do we do with this? Does that mean... Oh, so I don't need to ever talk to God about my sin. Wonderful. And that's where a lot of people run with it. In fact, when we talk about God's forgiveness, I think sometimes people are afraid because they want to control people. Well, how are we going to keep them from sinning? Folks, it's not our job to keep people from sinning. The Bible tells us the goodness of God leads us to repentance. The love of Christ constrains us. See, the problem is always a heart problem. At the end of the day, people are going to do whatever they want to do. That's, that's just the reality. That's just human nature. I shouldn't control people by trying to say, well, unless you're doing this and this and this, uh, you're not right with God. And, and, and we're no better than the Catholics. We're no better than some of these uh, uh, legalistic groups that try, to, that try to control. We fall into that. God is truly a God of grace, and it's the grace of God that causes us to long for Him. By the way, the grace of God's addicting it's a good addiction. The more I experience it, the more I want it. I want the grace of God in my life. And furthermore, it's the grace of God which appears unto all men. Uh, the, the grace of God which bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that in an ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God teaches us to live right. Not the guilt of God, the grace of God. Um, Let me give you a verse. Uh, Proverbs 28, verse 13. Here's how you should deal with it. Proverbs 28, verse 13. It says this. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. How many of you want the mercy of God? Absolutely. Uh, Confession, by the way, is different than, uh, than asking for forgiveness. There's another thing that the Catholics hijacked this verse. I'm trying not to pick on Catholics tonight, but I'm going to pick on Catholics tonight. Um, They hijacked that word, the word confession. When you think of a Catholic confessional, what do you think of? Think of a little box and some anonymity and some stranger on the other side of that thing. And you go in there and you say, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been this long since my last confession. And we go through these rituals. You know what we've done? We just remove the box and we look at God and we say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. It's been this long since my last confession. And, and, and we go through this thing. Confession, the, the word, the, the Greek word is homo legeo. Homo means same as. Lagos is spoken word. It means to agree, to say the same thing. Even in a court of law uh, in America, they'll say, do you confess to these charges? What are they saying? Are they asking for an apology? Are they, are they want you to ask for forgiveness? No, they, they're saying, do you agree? So if we're going to be honest with God... The issue between us and God when He died for our sins and we trusted His finished work on Calvary for for the payment of our sins, the propitiation of our sins, when we are coming to God, we understand that all sins have been forgiven. Or else there would need to be another sacrifice. So with all sins forgiven, and God is dealing with me about, let's just use the word, my sin, the issue is really honesty. The issue is coming before God and saying, Lord, I, I, uh, wow, thank you for forgiving me. I realize I'm off track here. This is not pleasing to you. Uh, I I plead the, the power of your Holy Spirit to carry me, to change me. So you might say, well, what about 1 John 1, 9? I'm so glad you brought it up. Let's go ahead and go there. 1 John 1. And I might carry this into next week. There's a lot of other things we could talk about with this. I may take it a step further next week. We'll see. Um, 1 John 1. We love verse 9. It has become sort of our Baptist rosary bead. And it says this, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. And... To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the way, wonderful verse. Wonderful verse. Does that verse tell us to ask for forgiveness? To agree with God, right? Honest admission. Uh, you know what an honest confession to God does? It releases guilt. It releases shame. In fact, it's interesting, there's actually two different words used in the, in the New Testament for forgiveness, and one carries the idea of release, one carries the idea of a pardon. When we forgive others, do you and I have the ability to pardon another human being? No. But you know what we can do? We can release them. And that's the word that's used when it talks about human relationships. When the, when the, the servant had that other servant that owed him a small amount, and, uh, and, and he did not forgive, he didn't release him of the debt. When Jesus said, uh, 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 if, we forgive, uh, 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 if we forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you yours, the word there is release. We release them. Otherwise, we carry it. And by the way, otherwise, it's works. It becomes works if I need to do something to get God's forgiveness. You see? Because, let, let, let's make no mistake, forgiveness of sins is, uh, is uh, synonymous with salvation. That's really, What is the issue between me and God? Sin. Why do I need to be saved? Sin. So what does God do? Takes care of the sin <laughs> so that we can be right with God. Let me give you the context of 1 John 1. I'll take a question or two, and then we'll be done. 1 John 1 starts off as, as the Apostle John is giving his credentials. This is what gives me the opportunity to write to you. I, I personally, uh, ha, my eyes have seen him. Verse uh, 1, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon him, our hands have handled the word of life, capital W, that's Jesus Christ, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show uh, unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. So so now he says, I've seen Jesus, I've experienced him, I've heard from him, now I'm going to declare to you what it is that I heard from him. Why? That you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Why do you and I have, why, why can you and I have real fellowship? Well, it's because you have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what allows us to have fellowship. And so he says, I'm going to write to you so you can have fellowship with us. Because apart from this, there's no real fellowship. What fellowship had light with darkness what, and, uh, you know, and righteousness with unrighteousness and so forth. So he says this, this is why I'm writing to you. So in other words, he says, I want you to be in this fellowship. And you can't be in this fellowship if you're not in fellowship with God. Does that make sense so far? Uh, just kind of taking the words as uh, simple on the surface. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So, uh, Secondly, he wants you to have full joy. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So so in other words, you claim to be a Christian, you claim to have fellowship with him, but you're still walking in darkness. You have not come out of darkness into his light which is salvation. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now let me back up for a second. Because I've heard people preach this verse backwards. When When we come before God and we get forgiveness, His blood cleanses us from all sin, and therefore brings us into fellowship with Him, and allows us to walk in the light. And they read the verse backwards, and it sounds very good. But that's not what the verse says. When you and I get saved, we're brought out of darkness, we're brought into His marvelous light. If we walk in the light, if we are saved, we have fellowship with God. And while I'm in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from sin. Walking in the light does not mean you're living right. Walking in the light means I'm in Christ. If I'm living right, why do I need the blood to cleanse me from sin? But you know what? As I'm in the light and as I'm walking with God, guess what happens every day? I sin again and again and again. And that's why I need this constant flow of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me of all my sin. Let's continue. Verse number eight. Are we okay so far? Verse number eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Can anyone say they have no sin? Would you be in contradiction to Scripture if you said you have no sin? What does the Scripture tell us? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Can, here's the next question then. Can you be saved without admitting you are a sinner? See, so you know what happens? There are people out there that say, I have not sinned. I'm a good, righteous person. Those Pharisees we just read about, right? They're saying to the blind man, you were born a sinner, and you're going to teach us? What's the implication? We're not sinners. You see it? So the Pharisees need to come to this place that, wait, we're sinners too. So he says this, if, you say we're, if, if, we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What's the truth? The word, thy word is truth. Jesus himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Contrast that now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse number 10, if we say that we have not sinned, past tense, we make him a liar, God a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, he had already alluded to the word earlier in the chapter, the word Jesus Christ. The word also being truth. So this is now the past tense, if we say we have not sinned, You know what I believe verse 9 in the whole of chapter 1 is really about? People that believe they're saved but are not saved. Here's the message that you could come into this fellowship with us. That the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you of all sin. Hey, folks, if you're saying, if you're in denial about your sin condition, the truth's not in you. But if you confess the fact that you are a sinner, God promises to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you say you've not sinned, you make God a liar. See how it's sandwiched in there? Now, notice the tone change in chapter 2. Verse chapter 1, very much like a stranger. Here's who I am. I walked with Jesus. Chapter 2, my little children. I wonder how many read this epistle in that first century that God got a hold of their heart, and they got saved, making them John's spiritual children. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation of our sins. See, all this language is is of someone who's saved, someone who's experienced the grace of God, experienced the propitiation for our sins, and then he starts going into what it is to live a holy life. But we can't get to second base if we haven't touched first base, and first base is admit you're a sinner and trust Christ. I believe chapter 1, now I've heard people just try to, Try to holler and shout and scream, saying, chapter 1 is for the believer. And, and uh, just because you said it really loud doesn't necessarily prove anything. D-d- bisect those verses and notice the tone of it. Now, all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is for us. And, uh, and I would say this. How many times do you have to confess Christ to be saved? Once. After you get saved, you need to, do you confess Christ? All the time. All the time we should be confessing Christ, right? But it takes one to get saved. After you get saved, do you think it's wise to confess sin? Absolutely. Absolutely it's a wise practice. And especially the Lord's dealing with you about it. But the point I wanted to bring out is this. The issue between you and God is not the sin. It's the sonship. It's, It's that God is determined to make you like his dear son. So we come before God... You don't need to get bogged down and say, i got a wall through the dumpster of my life and, and, and bring up all these things. And then, Lord, also, the things I can't think about, would you forgive those as well? And he's up in heaven saying, I already forgave you when you called on me for salvation. I already cleansed you of all those sins. Colossians 2 uh, uh, he says, says uh, having forgiven us all trespasses. Now, how many do you think that is? Well, it's 734. No, it's all. I looked it up in the Greek, and you know what it says there? All, okay? You don't have to be a scholar to figure this out. 3 little word, all. Nailing the handwritten ordinances that was against us, contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's what he did with my sin. So when you come before God and he looks at you, uh, 1 John actually goes into this, and I don't think we want to actually tackle the words that are said. I might go into it next week. Chapter 3 basically explains how If you're in Christ, you don't sin. But when God looks at you, you know what he sees? He sees sees his son, but he sees at times character that is inconsistent with his son. So he says, I need to bring some chastening into your life to get you on track. I need to to bring about, uh, Hebrews 12, uh, the peaceable fruit of righteousness through chastening to make you like my son to make you more like Jesus Christ, which is the expected end. Whom we did foreknow, he also predestinated, be conformed to the image of his Son. That's who, what God is after. So my point tonight is this, that Christ has done everything, made a possible, making it possible for us to pray, for us to come to him. Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 4 talks about a room, a throne room. Its whole purpose there is to dispense grace. The Bible tells us, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Question, who needs mercy? Or why would someone need mercy? They've done something wrong. See, mercy is God withholding what we deserve. If my child does something wrong and they're begging me, begging me not to discipline them for it and I decide to let them off, you know what I did? I showed mercy. Grace is me getting a blessing which I don't deserve. I don't deserve to be in that throne room. But it says this, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Get this now and strength to help in time of need. When do I need, excuse me, when do I need more strength than when I'm struggling with sin? You see, that theology is so messed up because it'll cause us to not come to God when we are struggling with addiction, when we are struggling with sin. The Bible calls the besetting sin. We won't go to God because we feel like we are unworthy to be there. But folks, I'm made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. I do belong there. I have a birthright to that room to go before my father and to bring my petition to ask for help and to receive the grace and mercy that I need. The story was told of uh, Billy Graham who uh, got a speeding ticket and, uh, and he, went into, uh, he went into the court and he said, yeah, I was wrong. I was speeding. And the, the judge uh, said the fine and he said it at it was something small it was years ago, like $25 for speeding. And, and, uh, and he said, uh, after he pled guilty, the, the judge said, and you know what, Mr. Graham, I'm going to go ahead and pay this ticket for you. And then afterwards he said, mind if I take you out to dinner? And he said, uh, he said uh, him paying for that ticket was mercy. He said, but dinner was grace. <laughs> that's what God does for us. He cleanses us of all sins and then invites us to the table. Amen. Uh,